Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. I'm Jeff. I'm one of the pastors at Salt Church and excited to be doing church with you today and stoked that it won't be too long until we can gather together again. Uh, Now, sometimes someone deserves to be the center of attention. Uh, They deserve to be there, uh, like the bride and groom on their wedding day. It's right when they're the center and they're the focus because the day is for them or the winner of an award at a ceremony that's for them in their honor. It's right when they're the center and the focus because the event is for them. Sometimes, though, someone thinks they deserve to be the center of attention and they really don't. Like me, in my very first game of basketball, Uh, this is me as a kid playing basketball. Now, I was 14, first game of basketball, and I was on the bench for almost the whole game. But I was sure that I deserved to be on the court. I wanted my moment to shine. Because if I'm built, if you, you look at the size of me, I'm five foot nothing. If I'm built for any sport, surely it's basketball. But... Three minutes to go, the coach finally let me on court. We were up by one, leading by one, and the ball was passed to me. I dribbled it up to halfway, bouncing confidently, bouncing it hard, bouncing it way too high, and someone stole it off me, and they went and scored, and we lost by one point because of me. And I was surprised when I didn't get best and fairest. Now, it's pretty awkward when someone tries to be the center of attention, and they miss who's really at the center. Like me in that game of basketball. Like if the wrong person gets up to claim the award. Like a bridesmaid who thinks that her friend's wedding day is her moment to shine. Like the guy on the first date who says, enough about me. What do you think about me? Sometimes we deserve to be the center of attention. Sometimes we really don't. So let me ask you a question. Who's at the center of your life? Who does your whole life revolve around? I think most people would say me, that I'm at the center of my life because only I get to live my life. You're the hero of your story because it's your story. Who's at the center of your life? It's an important question to get right because if it's meant to be you at the center, well, then you're like that bride or the groom on their wedding day. You're like the receiver of the award at the ceremony that's for them. It's right that you're at the center. But if it's not meant to be you at the center, then you're like me at the basketball game. You're like the bridesmaid taking all the glory. You're like the self-obsessed guy on his first date. It's an especially important question to get right when it comes to God. What is God here for? Is God here for us to to help us to improve our lives or are we here for him? Who's at the center? That's what we're going to see in this song, Song 20, uh, Psalm 20. Uh, The Psalms are like ancient Israel's Spotify playlist of their top hits, basically. There's celebration songs, prayers, anthems, laments, and they were compiled into this playlist of ancient Israel's top 150 hits. And today we're listening to Song 20 to see who's at the center of your life and is God here for us or are we here for him? And first up in this song, the singer makes this humble, bold request of God and God answers because God 
is for us. So have a look. Song 20. Have a look with me. Psalm 20. First verse says this. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. In the day you face trouble, in the day of distress, God hears. God cares. God's powerful enough to do something about it. He can keep us safe from harm and protect us. Uh, Look at verse 2. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. God is our helper and is with us. Uh, That's what the sanctuary idea is about. As a sign that God was with ancient Israel, he told them to build this tent, this tabernacle. And at the center of it was the sanctuary. And God said he would be with his people there in the sanctuary. It was proof that God was with them and God was for them. God made it possible for a holy God who hates sin, who's perfect, to live with sinful people by giving them this tabernacle and by giving them sacrifices to do. So have a look at verse 3. It says, May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. Uh, Remember, not because God might have forgotten, but remember as in bear in mind, keep it in mind. Accept these offerings and sacrifices that they do. This singer is making a really humble request here, asking God to show favor and accept him. But it's a bold request too. Look at verse 4. He says, May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. Uh, Recently, I've just been introducing my kids to Harry Potter. I just read the first book with my kids. And uh, there's a scene in the first book of Harry Potter where Harry looks into this mirror, the mirror of Erised, and he looks and sees his parents who were killed when he was just a young baby, because what he longs for most is to meet them. Um, And here's what Dumbledore says about this mirror in Harry Potter. He says, So, said Dumbledore, slipping off the desk to sit on the floor with Harry, you, like hundreds before you, have discovered the delights of the mirror of Erised. I didn't know it was called that, sir. But I expect you've realized by now what it does. It, well, it shows me my family. And it showed your friend Ron himself as head boy. Now, can you think what the mirror of error said shows us all, said Dumbledore. Harry thought, then he said slowly, it shows us what we want, whatever we want. Yes and no, said Dumbledore quietly. It shows us nothing more or less than the deepest, most desperate desire of our hearts. You who have never known your family, see them standing around you. Ronald Weasley, who has always been overshadowed by his brothers, sees himself standing alone, the best of all of them. (laughs) What's your deepest desire? That's what this mirror is about in Harry Potter. What's your deepest desire? What's the thing you long for most? If it was that one day we would read Harry Potter at Soul Church, your desire's just been met. But whatever your deepest desire and longing is, we can humbly ask God for it. Here's one thing for the writer of this song. It's in verse 5. This is his desire. Verse 5, May we shout for joy over your victory. And lift up our banners in the name of our God. He's asking that the day of trouble 
would become the day of triumph and victory and salvation. And then verse 5, end of verse 5, he says, just kind of this blanket prayer to answer all requests. May the Lord grant all your requests. May God answer everything you ask, the big things like health and wealth and saving our friends and our family and the small things like a parking spot and a good night's sleep. Although if you've got young kids, maybe that's a big thing for you. Actually, in the New Testament, Jesus tells us we can ask God for anything and he will answer us. He won't always answer yes. Sometimes he'll say no. Sometimes he'll say later. And we know that God's a good father and he gives us what's best for us. And his goal for Christians, his goal for you if you trust in Jesus, is not simply that you'd be happy, but that you'd be holy. But Christians can make humble, bold requests of God because God is for us. He is for us all the time. I remember this time when I was at uni and I asked a mature age student who was a Christian, what's the best thing about being a Christian? Because I was interested to see what she'd say. And here's what she said. She said, prayer. I can talk to God all the time and I can talk to him about anything. I can ask him for anything. Now, I was at uni at the time and my biggest difficulty was waking up before 11 a.m. to get to lectures on time. So I thought that was a weird answer. But as my life has gone on, I've faced more troubles, more unmet desires, more nights when I'm on my knees begging for God to hear, to care, begging the only one who can change the situation. And God is for us. That's what this first half of the song shows us about God. So what does this show us about God and who's at the center of life? Well, with a God who's for us, with the way he listens to our requests and he loves to answer them, it does seem like we're at the center. But then we hit this jarring note in the song and it shows us we're missing something if we believe we're at the center. The jarring note is in verse 6. Have a look at verse 6. Now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. You see, hear the jarring note. You expect it to say, the Lord will give you victory. The Lord will answer you because God is for you. But instead, God answers him. Who's the him? I look back at verse 1. May the Lord answer you when you're in distress. Now verse 6, he answers him from his heavenly sanctuary. Hear that jarring note. This song is not actually about you or me. Because the you in verses 1 to 5 is not you or me. It's him. It's the king. The king of ancient Israel. It's called there, his anointed, the Lord's anointed. uh, Which in Hebrew is the word Messiah. And in Greek is the word Christ. This was the king that was chosen by God to rule and lead God's people. So what seems like a straightforward prayer from your average ancient Israelite for God's help is really a prayer about the king. What seems like a prayer from just a Christian asking for God's help is a prayer about the king. It's a humble, bold request for God's help is actually a prayer about the king. 
And this changes the whole psalm. Come back to verse 1. Let me substitute and show you. It says, May the Lord answer the king when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect the king. It especially changes verse 4. Look at verse 4. May he give the king the desire of the king's heart and make all the king's plans succeed. Now, who wrote this song? If you go very back to the top, it says, Psalm 20, for the director of music, a psalm of David. Uh, This song was written by King David. And when God chose David to be the king, here's what he said to him. This comes from Acts 13. God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So verse 4, it's not about us and our desires. It's asking God to meet the desires of David, a man with the same desires as God. Christians love verse 4. I love verse 4. But I think there's a really big danger that we can take this out of context. Because this is not talking about the mirror of Erised. This is not a blank check promise that God will give you what you most want if you ask him. If you see God that way, it's going to be hard not to stop trusting God if he doesn't give what you ask for. Because it's not little things that we ask God for. This is the deepest unmet desire of our hearts. A gift that God hasn't given. A situation that he hasn't taken away. That we long for him to change it. But verse 4 is not about you and me and what we want. It's about the king. And David asks God to meet the desires of a man with the same desires as God. And this is how many places in the Bible talk about this idea of God meeting the desire of our heart. Let me show you just two of them. First one, Psalm 37. It says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, what does that mean? It means he'll give you desires, not like you use God like a genie to get what you really want. It's that you'll get more of God, that you'll get more delight in God, because what you delight in, what you desire most, is God. Or the second one there, Isaiah 26, says, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. We desire for God to get more glory, and so he gives us what we desire. And God answers this prayer for the king. Look in verse 6. Come back, look in verse 6. It says, Now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. The saving might of God saves the king in battle. The victorious power of God gives victory to the king. And it leads the people of God to declare in whom they trust. Verse 7, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Since God has the power, we trust in him to win our battles, which is not what humans usually trust in. Usually in battles, human trust in the latest military hardware, which for them was the horse and the chariot. For us, I don't know, bazookas and nukes. 
But they're trusting in God, not in these things. Can you see what this psalm is really about? It's not about us. It's asking God to answer the king's call for help in battle because he trusts that God is the one who saves. And Israel need victory. Israel need victory over their enemies. And they need the king to bring that victory because the king is leading his troops in battle. And they know that God is the source of any victory the king might have. And so they ask and they trust God to bring it. That's what this song's about. God bringing the victory to the king. And when you see that, it gives us the biggest jarring note in this song. Because it shows us God is for us, but God's not here for us. God is here for him. God is at the center. God answers the king. He answers the people's request for his own glory. You see it in the phrase, in his name, which is scattered through this psalm. Look back in verse 1, second half of verse 1. It says, may the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Or it's in verse 5. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. Or it's in verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Now, why the name? What does God's name mean here? Well, God's name is about God's reputation. And God acts for the sake of his name and his reputation. God acts for the glory of his name. And that's what God is always on about. Let me show you two places in the Bible. Really familiar one, but this might be a surprise. Psalm 23, probably the most famous psalm in the Bible, says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Or here's another one from Ezekiel 36. This is what the servant law says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name. This is why God does what he does. God answers this prayer in Psalm 20. He saves the king. He does everything he does for his own glory. God is not here for us. God is not on about us. We're here for him. God is at the center. This is the biggest jarring note in this song. God's on about his own name, his own reputation, his own glory, because God is worth more than anything else. I'm sure you know this painting. This is the Mona Lisa painted by Leonardo da Vinci. It's held in the Louvre in Paris. And it's been called, this painting has been called the best known, most visited, most written about, most sung about, most parodied work of art in the world. It's valued at $782 million. I think it's about the size of an A4 piece of paper. That's a pretty expensive piece of paper. $782 million for this painting. And in 1911, it was stolen. They searched for two years before they found the thief and restored it back into the museum. Now imagine that the French president at the time, the French president in 1911, heard that it had been stolen. And he said, ah, so what? I never really liked that painting. 
No, that painting is the most precious thing in the art world. Of course, you would find it again to show it off. God's glory is the most precious thing in the world, the most precious thing in the universe. God is worthy of praise and honor from everyone. God deserves to be sung about, prayed to, obeyed, because God is at the center of everything. See, wonderfully, God is for us. We can humbly, boldly ask God for anything. God is for us, but God's not here for us. We're here for Him. This psalm, the the whole Bible shows us, you are not at the center of God's plans. We're caught up in them. My life is not about me. God is not here to make my life great. My life is for making His name great. At the center of God's plans, at the heart of everything God is doing, is His own glory. And you see that glory clearest at the victory of the Christ. When you see the Christ's victory, that's where you see the glory of God clearest. Because where do we see the Christ's victory? Well, for David the Christ, for King David, his victory came a bunch of times in a bunch of different battles that he won. He won these battles when he was outsized, outnumbered on the brink of defeat. Like when he took on Goliath. The story of David and Goliath, it's a very popular kid's story, but it's not about small people achieving big things. Uh, That's great news for someone small like me, five foot nothing, but that's not actually what it's about. It's not about small people achieving great things. It's about God's victory. God giving victory to the king for his own glory. Because this is what David says in that story. David said to the Philistine Goliath, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. This is about God's glory. That's why God gives victory to David. What about for Jesus the Christ? Where do we see his victory? We see it at the cross. That's where we see his victory. The song that's in heaven gives glory to Jesus for his death. Let me read a little bit of Revelation 5. Then I saw a lamb, who's Jesus, looking as if it had been slain. And then there's this song giving glory to him and it says, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. The seeming defeat of Jesus on the cross is his victory over sin and death and the devil. And it leads to glory to God, glory to Jesus, the Son of God, because he's worthy. See, the center of this world and the center of the world to come is the glory of God. Is God here for us? Or are we here for Him? Well, God is for us. Wonderfully, God is for us. He he purchased us, it says here. It purchased us to be His. He, He treasures us. He values us. If you're a Christian, 
God loves you more than you could ever know or grasp. Christians can humbly and boldly ask God for anything, knowing that He cares about us, He loves to answer. But God is on about something much bigger than you or me. God's on about the biggest thing there is, Him. And that means we need to do five things. Let me give you five things we need to do in response to this fact that God's on about Him. First thing is, we need to make God the center of our lives. Uh, There's a kind of Christianity that's about what God's doing for you. Uh, Kind of you as God's prince or princess and the wonderful plan that God has for your life and how he's going to do good for you and not harm you. He's going to give you future and a hope. And there's lots of Christians who think God is here for them and God's big plan for them is that they'll experience great things. And so they travel and they go on adventures and they live a full life. And they think that that's the life to the full that Jesus promises. But the life to the full that Jesus promises is a life that's full of Jesus. It's a life full of Him. It's a life that's all about Him. See, if you're a Christian, your life is not about your experiences and ticking off your bucket list of your life's ambitions with God's help to achieve them all. God's not here to make our lives great. He will make our lives great. God is for us. But our life is for making his name great. So first thing, make God and his glory the center of your life. Second thing, desire God. I think you'll see who's at the center of your life when you look at the deepest desires that you have. Bring those desires to God. Whatever desires you have, He's a good Father who cares about us. But don't use God like a genie to get what you really want from God. Desire to get more of God. Desire to delight in God. Third thing, pray. Pray in Jesus' name because you trust Him. Uh, In this song, some people trust in chariots, some people trust in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And that's what prayer is. Every prayer you pray to God is an act of trust. Because praying is recognizing you have needs and asking God to fill them. Instead of taking it into your own hands, depending on God and saying to God, I need your help. Pray to trust Jesus. And pray through Jesus. That's what it means when Christians pray in Jesus' name. When we finish our prayers and we say, in Jesus' name, amen. What are we doing there? Well, we're recognizing that we approach God in prayer and in life, not through our works, not through our offerings and sacrifices like for ancient Israel, but through Jesus' offering, Jesus' sacrifice. By the victory of Jesus on the cross, we approach God. And so pray, pray in Jesus' name, through Jesus, and trusting in Jesus. Fourth thing, make God the center of your life, desire God most, pray through Jesus, trusting Jesus. Fourth thing, pray for the glory of God. Uh, Make the glory of God the focus and the emphasis of your prayers. Uh, Like Jesus tells us to do when he teaches us to pray. What does he say in the Lord's Prayer? He says, Our Father in heaven, 
Hallowed be your name. Really weird word, but it basically means make your name holy. Get more glory. That's what Jesus tells us to pray for. Uh, We can ask God for anything. It's beautiful. We can ask God for health and wealth and, and parking spots and sleep. We can ask God for anything, but bigger than us. Pray for God's glory. Make that the focus and the emphasis of your prayer. Actually, let me take it one step further. Realize that God's glory is the goal of prayer. The reason God answers prayer is ultimately so more glory will go to him. The reason God says yes or no or later is so more glory will go to him. That's why God answers prayer. This prayer in Psalm 20, every prayer, everything God does is for his own glory. So pray for the glory of God. And then fifth thing, pray for God to answer our king. Pray for God to answer our king. Because in Psalm 20, Psalm 20 is about asking God to answer the king. What about for our king? Well, long before we prayed for anything, Jesus prayed for us. This is in John 17. You can chase this up later. John 17. Jesus asks God his Father to save and protect and unite and grow Christians. Here's what he says. He says, Father, I've revealed you to those you gave me out of the world. But my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. How comforting is that? Jesus prayed for us 2,000 years before any of us were born Jesus prayed for you if you're a Christian. And our King is still praying for us. Hebrews 7, 25 says this. It says, Jesus intercedes for us. Jesus is in heaven talking to the Father for you right now. That is the prayer of our King. Psalm 20 asks God to answer the King. And we want God to answer our King. So let me finish by praying this psalm. Why don't you pray this with me? Let's pray. Lord God, answer our King, Jesus. May we shout for joy over Jesus' victory. May you grant all Jesus' requests. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of Jesus. Lord, give victory to the King. Give victory, honor, and glory to King Jesus. Answer us when we call. Amen.